Welcome to Between the Lines, an Oaks Church Brooklyn podcast where we go behind the scenes of our current series, The Story of God, alongside our pastors and a few friends. We hope you enjoy. All right, we're back. Yo. Another another week, another podcast. Not just any other week and not just any other podcast because we are, in fact, recording this on your birthday. I know. It's happy birthday, I guess, to me. Yes, happy birthday, <laughs> brother. Uh, this yeah, thank is you. The, the last year before your Jesus year. Last year before the Jesus year. Um, it went great for him. Uh-huh. I mean, hopefully, you know. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Hopefully it ends better. For, I mean, he, he got out of it alive, so. Yeah. <laughs> That's later in the story. No. <laughs> okay. Um, but anyways, we're back um, to kind of recap where we've been and to kind of tease out where we're going in this series. And so this previous Sunday, I had the privilege to kind of take us through Genesis 3. You did it so well. Oh, thank you. Yeah, great job. And it was in Genesis 3, my gosh, I mean, I think these first three chapters have been fun to do. And yeah, I always feel something's getting left behind. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, well, that's a whole other, yeah. uh, that's a whole other story, uh, series left behind. But um, <laughs> uh, it's interesting you say that because I feel like, I don't know, this is weird, but I feel like it's is dragging not dragging in like a bad sense but like so far we've been going like chapter, chapter by, by chapter. chapter yeah uh this week that's going to change we'll talk a little bit about that later but um yeah but i think it has been so good because it is truly a prologue like it, yeah the themes that are going to run through the rest of the story are are fully like being planted yeah yeah uh, yeah here. And I and I think that's what's been cool about in these podcasts where we get to kind of pick up where maybe some of the some questions linger. And so actually the first thing I want to bring us to that kind of was kind of left lingering was like in Genesis three. All right. Mm-hmm. So we've in so far we got got introduced to the creator, we got introduced to humanity. Yes. And now Genesis three, a serpent. Dun dun dun. And so I thought we'd speak to for a little bit, like, what's the deal with the serpent? Because for for two reasons. One, I think there's this sense in which if you've grown up in the Christian tradition, you're, you might be overly familiar with, with, with who this serpent might be. Yes. But secondly, too, I think there is this question lingering of like, isn't this God's good created world? And why is there a tempter? <laughs> In yeah. the garden. Yeah. I don't know if you want to speak to some of that. Yeah, I think that was one of the questions you got on Sunday, particularly, was like, uh, what I'm hearing that is that akin to that question of like, well, yeah, why even allow for the possibility? Yeah. Um, which, you know, the way I think about it, again, it goes, I go straight back to Genesis 1, 1 and 2. Like, in the beginning, Elohim creates the skies and the land. And the world was unordered and uninhabited, that tovu vavohu, right? And so it's like, what, I think right away, the authors are 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 setting the stage. This is the, the most truest mm. state of all things. And I think it's very pertinent. And it's like, I can't like drill this home enough because I feel like if you don't get that, you won't get anything else, which is mm. immediately you have Elohim followed by what Elohim does because it's like weird that you go 
he creates the skies and the land, and then the earth is like unhorned, and then he like creates like goes sure. about just so it's like wait, sure. is this like a spoiler? But I think what's happening there is the the authors of the text are telling us you cannot separate the presence of Elohim from the work of Elohim. Mm. They are one and the same. To have Elohim's presence is to have one who is creating the the capacity and conditions for life to grow mm. and, and and to live. Uh, like that's that's kind of what he does. Like we all got that friend, and it's like what he does is eat all my food. Like yeah, you know, yeah. like, if he's around, food's gonna get eaten. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But like that's what Elohim does. And then what flows from that then is, and also what is most true, is that things are unordered and uninhabited. Uh, mm. Not just this like physical world, but meta- metaphysical world. My life, and and there's this. So we call it chaos. Like that's the word we've been using thus far. It's like. There's Elohim and there's chaos. And I think uh, what I would say about this is that that chaos, uh, I would I would consider chaos neutral, meaning mm-hmm. uh, oftentimes we, we ascribe negativity to chaos. Um, and yet, like, you know, have you ever taken a roller coaster? Yeah. yeah. Like, like, it is a chaotic scene, but it, that's the whole point. It's yeah. good. You know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, like I know some people don't mix their foods, but I like to put all my foods together and get like the perfect bite. And you got the, <laughs> the, the salt and the fat and the acid and the heat. It's getting a little chaotic in my mouth. And I like that because it, it makes yeah. me alive. Right. Um, and so I guess that's your question. What, how I see it is that like what exists in the garden, our free will is chaos. Meaning it carries the p- potential for things to go awry, right? Like it, mm-hmm. like it carries it carries that that potential for things to to degrade, uh, but it also carries the potential for like life. And and what I know to be most true about life is I can't escape chaos, no matter mm-hmm. how uh, faithful I may become to Jesus. And so I think the snake, the serpent here in the story, then concretizes or like personifies this this idea uh, of chaos like you have the ability you need the ability or else we don't actually have any sort of free will but then the question is um for eve and for adam Mm. the question was god had ordered this chaos he had placed chaos in its bounds he had bodied it up in this tree and in this fruit and what they chose to do was to violate the boundaries that elohim had yeah. Had set instead of stewarding it, mm. they took the you know they took the kind of chisel to the dam and mm. uh, the water broke. So, yeah, I, th- I think it's good to, as you put it like that because I think part of what we're wrestling with too. I think when people think so, what where does this serpent come from? Is like actually, if you want like a really detailed answer from Genesis three, you're not going to get one. Yeah. The in just the story, the serpent is just there, just as in Genesis one, the tohu vavohu is just there, yeah. right? The the wild wa- watery wasteland, right? And so I think that's important. I think because what it keys us into, I think, as from a story perspective, is even though we didn't get a lot of information here, this theme will get unpacked. Mm-hmm. And I think what we'll see is in so in the later tradition, both in the Old Testament and then in like Second Temple Judaism, this serpent gets linked to like the satan or the satan the accuser and 
that's and that's, that's kind of our our conception as we kind of as Christians we read so oh this serpent's it's Satan right is this can't this has to be right mm-hmm. but I think it's important for us to pause here and say as of right now the story hasn't given us that. And even in, the, in the, we you can go to those Old Testament texts that are used for that. It's not even a hundred percent clear the relation between the the accuser and the serpent. And yeah. so I think this conception of like the serpent is like this kind of embodiment of chaos, this embodiment of the potentiality for the dam to break, becomes then in like an important literary theme to track, rather than just go, all right, we'll, we'll, we'll answer this easily. That it's just that's just Satan and you know, in the body of a snake, you know, whatever we want to do it. Yeah. And I think, it's, I think it's helpful just like for, for a moment, let's parse this out as the text gives it to us. Yeah, because let's be honest. If like, you know, like Satan, I mean, I would say that the, the truest form that Satan would take is a rat. You know, <laughs> I don't really deal, deal with rodents. Uh, so, you know, like I don't really like snakes either, but that's where I would be like, oh, that's Satan. <laughs> like, no, nah, I'm out of here. Yeah, and I, I think, yeah, that's a curious thing, too, because I think also, and we've mentioned him a lot, Dr. Michael Heiser, um, in some of his work was, like, also what's happening here in, in, like, all these Old Testament texts, there's, like, the story beneath the story, and there is, like, this idea of, like, so, like, because the ultimate question, like, where does, like, evil come from? Mm-hmm. Or where does, where does, where does, where, 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 where's the source of this kind of, these creatures in God's creation that are, Someone or already in rebellion, and I think that's an important thing we can track too through this story. Is like there's also like this underlying kind of you'd call it like a supernatural narrative mm-hmm. is re- as it regards like what how did how did a fallen being end up in God's good creation um, yeah. in that in you know fallen in in that kind of quote quotes yeah because he doesn't God doesn't eradicate chaos yeah he slowly transforms it into capacity for for life, uh, mm. at, at least in this current season, you know, or, or at least, you know, I, and I think one last thing I, w- I would kind of say about this, and this may feel mildly controversial, I just want to kind of try to be clear about what I mean here, but um, I, I think what cannot also be lost is the fact that we are dealing with, you know, um, I guess, like, you know, the question becomes, like, are we dealing with, like, was there... Uh, like a tree somewhere. Sure, yeah. And two people. Yeah. The only two people on the entire face of the <laughs> earth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a talking serpent. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to, I want to point to that where we're going to go next week, uh, y- these two people are going to have a son who's going to get banished, who's going to go to thriving populations and cities. I say that to say this. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that we have to like, we can work backwards up from the lineage of Jesus. We get to actual people. Mm-hmm. But also I think what happens in three is, is, is worth noting is that you are moving from the poetry of Genesis one and two, and you're moving into the narrative that picks up in, in Genesis four. And so yeah. I think we're still a, a lot in this place of, of the writer setting up mm-hmm. kind of the, the cosmic conundrum yeah, uh, that's going to be fleshed out in the lives of real people. Hear me. I'm not saying that this is yeah, yeah, all, yeah. all myth and, and fairy tales, but I'm saying like th- there is something that we have to kind of contend with here uh, that, that goes like, yeah, like, like, 
but what fruit was it? You know? (laughs) And and I think that that's an important piece. I think we can kind of use this to move on to the next thing, but yeah, to your point, I think we we always, we, we, especially like we do this with this, this story of this Adam and Eve character, like their names are humanity and life. Yeah. Like, so there is this sense in which... Aptronyms. Yeah, they're, 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 this story is a microcosm of just a human story. And we get into that 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 question, which I, you know, in talking with people who are like, maybe come from a very fundamentalist background, for something to be true, it must be literal. Yes. And I think that's just something to keep in our minds as we go through the story, that that's not always the case. That for something to be true, it doesn't necessarily mean it needs... That the Bible is that video camera footage from the ancient world. Yeah, well, and I think a way of saying that, you know, uh, Parker Palmer, a uh, theologian author in his book, To Know As We Are Known, uh, I really hold and adopt uh, his his kind of view and calling of truth leading from its etymology, the Germanic word troth, where we get like betrothal. And the sense that, that truth is less about um, this immutable distinct set of facts uh or empiricism but more about that which holds us in relationship and so so what is actually true is whatever it is that that helps us hold on to each other um because i mean we can get philosophical and absolute truth but that's a whole other thing so we should just keep moving yeah yeah we should keep moving what you got next so okay we have we, we have the serpent um we get introduced to that and then there's a story plays out humanity um takes you know the knowledge of good and evil for themselves they want to be like god and there's a great irony there because they are like god um and then we get to kind of these you know the, the if, every, if everyone looked in their bible you know you'd have like you'd, you'd probably see like a little header like the like the curses or the yes. fall or and in and th- those those little headings are helpful and unhelpful. Uh, so I thought we'd spend some time talking, kind of maybe hitting on some interesting points um, about this kind of section where God kind of lays out what's going on. Yeah, because you you made a distinction uh, that I would love for you to to speak more to because I don't know if everyone necessarily caught it. But as you yeah. were teaching, you made the distinction that. And what we typically call like the cursing of man and and of cursing of Adam and the curse of Eve, uh, you make the you make the point that in the text, the only thing that is actually explicitly cursed is the ground and the serpent. Yeah, and I'd love for you to yeah speak some more on that delineation as opposed to what what's happening then with with Adam and Eve. Yeah, so it's so fascinating. So again, we kind of call all these the curses, but explicitly. In the in in the Hebrew, the only that that word for curse only gets applied to the ground and the serpent, and it's actually interesting, just because just like in in gen, end of Genesis two where they're naked, Arumin, and the serpent is Arum, there's another kind of um, word play happening here with the idea between the serpent was crafty Arum and now he's cursed. Right, so and even he was this kind of this interplay of like, oh, you are crafty, Arum. Now you're now you're cursed, and um, it's escaping me right now the the word, but it's another kind of related in that the sound of you would read that and make those relations, and that's interesting because historically, what a lot of us have been taught is humanity's cursed by God for mm-hmm. sinning, but no, the serpent is cursed, mm-hmm. and then what what kind of then happens in the text is humanity 
just receives the fruit of their actions. Yeah. It's it's not something God is explicitly doing to humanity, like he's doing to the serpent. Yes. You will crawl on your belly because yes. I am cursing you and you will eat dust, right? And then eventually the woman's seed will crush your head. To humanity, he says, all right, and, and for you, Eve, there will be pain in, in, in childbearing. For you, for you, Adam, the ground will work against you and you will toil to the day you die. And it's less so that God, God is saying this this is my divine retribution more so this is what happens when you when chaos spills over its borders and because you have let it spill over its borders this will be the course of your existence and matter of fact the other thing that gets cursed is the earth and adam guess what the curse at the ground is cursed because of you yeah because of your actions because you let chaos spill over now chaos now dwells in the earth you didn't steward what you're supposed to yeah one thing i'll hit on that too is i think there's a there's a it's a subtle but profound nuance to alleviate mankind of being a people hexed. Yeah. Like, you know, in some quarters where we kind of assume like, oh, people people are, are accursed. Uh, and people do get cursed in the Bible. Yeah. One's about to get cursed here yeah. <laughs> uh, in a chapter. Um but but when we kind of point to kind of this like idea of like even the universal sin or, or this kind of thing, if we're relating to that as like oh we we are born accursed like some sort of like hex people, which would imply there's no good yeah in us right mm-hmm. things that are cursed are like I think defective defunct like, yeah uh, and yet uh, I think like. Like this goes again goes back to Genesis one and one and two. Like we have, we have within us the image of God and also the chaos of we are we are we are an amalgamation of what the breath of God, which is which is pure and good and ordered, and it embodies the dirt, which is <laughs> chaotic. Yeah. It is, yeah. but I think that's just worth saying and also worth saying. Like you know, I'll, I'll put it in the show notes, but there is a fantastic. Again, OG Kara Myers. Uh, uh, she does some in- fantastic translation work, particularly uh, Genesis three sixteen around Eve and what mm. has been perceived as like her curse and like this idea of like it's going to be hard making babies, uh, and yet that's not actually yeah what's being pronounced there. Uh, what Elohim's actually pronouncing over her is that this is. Um, Here's like when when Elohim removes his subsidy, mm. their life was subsidized. Yeah, but now with without without Elohim's ordering power, right? They are now okay. If you want to give your hand at trying to order order chaos, yeah, okay, I'll 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 I'll, I'll let you. I'll step out of the way a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what you will find then is for Adam, oh the the ground now no longer just yields its its fruit and so your work you still were always going to have to work but yeah. now it's unproductive now mm. you will have to you will have to fight back the chaos right and you will wish that i was i had ordered that chaos and for the woman and this is particularly you know in the article that i'll, I'll post uh Karamaz is a female, a feminine archaeologist, which just means she she examines the the lives and roles of of women as displayed through uh, archaeology. And one two things she talks about is for Iron Age women, uh, 
uh, kind of like speaking to the, the the start of the Israelite culture um, around like five six hundred BC, what you'll find is that uh, they, on average, had to have seven to eight children mm. to have enough offspring to sustain in an agrarian society. Yeah, and what this meant was. Uh, there was a lot of stillbirths. This is why you go to mm-hmm. Isaiah, and there's this call that that in the in the day to come, there will be no more children that that are stillborn or die shortly after birth. Mm. Right. This is a this is a very felt experience. Yeah. And and uh, and uh, and like this goes back to then when you get into like say uh, uh, Psalm one twenty seven and children being an inheritance from the Lord. Like, uh, like here's the woman's your your subsidy. Like. I have I have made life easy. I was going to make life easy and productive for yeah. you. But now you've got to tend with the chaos of bearing mm. children, which means sometimes it it will not be productive. Yeah. And so for Adam and Eve, it's really just like a a realization like you can't do life without me, but if you want to try, I'm not going to stop you. Yeah. I want to something you said, I think just to to narrow in on before we move on to kind of what's going to be coming up in the next two weeks is like this idea that, you know, that humanity is this kind of cursed people. And, and, you know, I, I grew up, um, you know, a lot, a lot of like reform friends. It's, It's always like this misunderstanding of like that doctrine of like total depravity in which is, it's not that humanity is utterly evil. It's, 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 that's not what that doctrine is getting at. It's getting at this idea that at, at our core, this is what C.S. Lewis wrote, at our core, there's a bent to us towards chaos, towards sin. Um, and that doesn't negate the, our, also our propensity f- to be the image of God. Like we never lose that capacity. And I always love, if you ever want to read a interesting retelling, honestly, of story of, of Genesis one to three, um, C.S. Lewis has his space series, which is his attempt of retelling those stories. Yeah. And I'll say this, he, that image of, of, of humanity being bent, not broken. This image of that. Yeah. Th- th- there's, there is a, th- there's a crick in our step. There's, there's something, there's something, limiting and yet we also don't lose our capacity for wholeness and for restoration yeah i mean far be it for me to find umbrage with c.s lewis uh, <laughs> but i i would i guess where i, I would want to dialogue with him because what, what i'm kind of even proposing I, I think what i hear in that is like a a, a bit of like yeah there's a desire to remain the good in humanity like yeah. you 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 know you're like you're you're like good but ooh, there's some bad in you uh sure. there's a there's a bend towards bad which is kind of like you know like if you start if you start the story of humanity uh in Genesis 3 then we're all bad and we need a god who can make us all good if you start the story in Genesis 2 we're all good, uh, then we go all bad and we need a God to make us all yeah. good. If you start the story in Genesis 1, uh, we are people uh, with with a capacity to live in the way of Elohim, which is yeah. good, or to live in the way of chaos, which is bad. And so in some ways, I would say we're, 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 we're neutral uh, mm. 
not perfect. Like this is like mm. this is why I love like the Tove Mayo, the very good. The good implies like uh and again that 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 Tove there means uh, working as intended. Mm. So even the the application of good is 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 less about a, a you know pronouncement of its of its quality as it is a declaration of its um, function. Like sure. it, this is working as it as it is intended. And then w- what is actually like so what is what is truly I think in the way that we use good uh, is is to live in the way that Elohim is ordered and to mm. steward the order has. So what I'm trying to say then is what I, what I w- would propose, and this kind of leads us in where we're going next week, that if, if chaos is indeed neutral, um, where we will start to make the shift from chaos to sin, where sin is mm. demonstrably bad because sin produces death yeah sin is when chaos runs amok when the order breaks down yeah and so when chaos overspills its bounds um in part because we try to do what we can't do Mm. you know kind of like when when you know james my my soon-to-be five-year-old uh decides he's gonna like help me uh, pour milk into the the eggs, but the, he he's not quite strong sure, enough yeah. to handle the gallon of milk, and so he dumps half a gallon of milk into the eggs. Well, these eggs are now demonstrably ruined and unfit for consumption. Right, right. Like like, and so now we starve, mm. and when we starve, we die. And so this is where, like, I'm gonna say, like, like where we will find this week the introduction of sin is that like your chaos that is in you doesn't have to be bad. Uh, I have a training, you know, my training, as, uh, my current training as a psychotherapist, we talk about often pathology and like in the, in the ways, um, the structures of people's minds uh, and the things that they do out of like the things we would consider, you know, the bad things that people do are often are by and large uh, the, the their best ways to try to create some sense of peace and goodness in their life uh and and when you look at it that way it it doesn't it what it elicits in me is a call for grace like it shows me then the grace of god because he realizes like oh you're trying to you're trying to create you're trying to order chaos bless your heart you're trying to help me with the eggs Mm. but you can't do this and you're making a mess of it Mm. Uh, and so please let me do it yield to my way which will lead to life and bounty and eating and flourishing or if you continue even in the face of all that you've seen if you continue to try to order chaos in your life on your own and order chaos in the world this then is sin and when sin is full-blown and fully matured it is death yeah you will die so yeah, no, that I think that's that's a helpful distinction. So next week we're diving into Genesis four to eight. Yeah, things get wild. We're gonna start picking up speed here. Yeah, so. it's gonna it's we're gonna start moving a bit faster and it's gonna be a fun journey. Yeah. Well, my brother, happy birthday. Thank you. Hope it's a joyous one. And uh And C.S. Lewis, we still love you. Yeah, we still love you. <laughs> this is uh Between the Lines. Between See the you lines. next week.
me, 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 out now, brown cow. Dead in the middle of little Italy, we riddle the middlemen who didn't do diddly. Oh. Big pun. Anyone else? Wow. That sounds like uh, the sequel to Hamilton. You never heard that song? Dead in the middle of Little Italy. We riddle the middleman who didn't do diddly. It'll be a cold day in hell the day I take an L. No big pun, Fat Joe? Okay, anyways. I do know big, jo- be- big pun, Fat Joe, but when it gets that way, you know, that's when you just go, Italy. Lean back. Lean back. You should leave this all in. 